I'd like to welcome all of the Patrickoff Co. clients and advisors who are listening. I'm Allie Berry, and I'm on the business development team here at Patrickoff Co., and I will be moderating tonight's discussion with Kitty. Tonight marks another edition of the PCO Executive Speaker Series, where we provide our clients direct access to candid conversations with leading executives and entrepreneurs on interesting topics of today. With that, I'd like to introduce Kitty Warshawski. Kitty is a highly respected nonprofit executive with an outstanding track record working at a senior level in various complex and large organizations. She has more than two decades of experience successfully establishing and growing partnerships with donors, advisors, and within the philanthropic and corporate community. Thank you for joining us, Kitty. We're so excited to have you. Maybe you could start off by just telling us in general kind of what the main purpose of philanthropic giving is and why people should consider doing this when there's a million different people asking for their money, investments to be made. What is kind of the reason that they should think about philanthropy? It's a great question. And like all the questions I'm sure you're going to ask, there are probably a lot more answers than I could I could <laughs> possibly give. But we'll start like a 30,000 foot view. I, I think for people, giving checks a lot of boxes. For some people, it's really important to give back or they want to pay it forward or perhaps they were raised in that tradition or maybe they want to make a statement about who they are, who they've become. Other people will do it because they appreciate the tax benefits or the planning purposes or the message it sends to their kids or their communities. And for all of us, it's usually a mixture of those yeah. those reasons. <laughs> and sort of to your next point, there are lots of ways that somebody can be philanthropic. I know we're mainly going to talk about giving dollars today, but before we do, I want to just mention that there are lots of ways that you can give. You can give of your time. You can give of your talent. So the athletes that are involved in Patrickoff Co., I'm sure, are already doing this all the time. You know, they may be asked to go to the Boys and Girls Club, or they might be asked to to join in like a Neighbors Make a Difference Day, or their teams are building a playground, or they're doing something with their church. Uh, and that's really important and, and makes a great, it's really helpful to the organizations that are being benefited. It makes a great statement. But in addition to that, I think giving dollars and giving dollars strategically is really important, and particularly for your athletes who have such a platform. That makes sense. And a lot of schools and charities kind of fully rely on that, those portion of donors, correct? Absolutely. Individual giving, which is what your athletes would be considered, is a is a huge component to most nonprofits. And and maybe I should say that a nonprofit is it's a business, but it's it's an organization that exists really to do good. And the IRS has set up some permutations or a framework for how a nonprofit organization can receive sort of a charitable status. And that charitable status, which is known as a 501c3, and some of your folks might have heard of that, if you get an, if an organization achieves this 501c3 status, then there are lots of tax benefits that come Got it. if you make a gift. And and I want to just say one more thing. There are about 2 million, literally 2 million nonprofit organizations in the United States. So, oh my and about, gosh. yeah, about 75% <laughs> of them do have this status. So there's a lot for people to wade through. Yeah. Sounds like there's a lot of opportunity to 
be charitable and to kind of find those opportunities in kind of a ton of different areas, no matter whether that's your school or kind of another, any or any other sort of cause that someone's chair just passionate about and interested in. Absolutely. Um, There's literally no end. Yeah. Maybe now we can talk a little bit about kind of, I mean, I'm sure that all of our athletes, as a lot of us do get tons of opportunities and you receive a million different, very reasonable, seemingly good causes that you want to donate to. So let's say one of our athletes gets one of these charitable opportunities and someone asks them to donate. Is there a way for them to ensure like the legitimacy of the cause and make sure that the funds, whatever they donate, no matter how big a check is actually going to the cause and kind of just ensuring these are legitimate groups? Yeah, that's a great question. And the answer is yes. And there are a couple of ways to do that. The athlete, him or herself, could literally go online. There are a couple of organizations. One's called Charity Navigator. Another is called Candid. Type in the name of the organizations, and up will come lots of information, including whether they are 501c3s. The athletes can always go look online at the IRS. Shockingly, the IRS has a really good searchable database on its website so you can see 501c3 status. I actually also encourage athletes just to spend a couple minutes on the website of the organization. And I know it might not be fair because smaller organizations are not going to have as beautiful a website as larger organizations, but you can tell if you look at even a couple of organizations, you can really get a sense of who they are, what they stand for, what kind of information they're putting out to the public. You know, the more transparent an organization is, I think the more comfortable your athletes yeah. should feel about that giving. Makes sense. Yeah. So like, let's say if you couldn't find a website and then you can't find them on the IRS website, it just would be an indication you need to do some more digging or try and figure out because they should technically have either filed or done something along those lines. They should be on one of those, correct? Exactly. I mean, if you can't find anything about them in this day and age, other than the person who's asked you, you probably want to do a little more digging. Okay. That's a good, I guess, rule of thumb, just to keep in mind. Yeah. I mean, some of these websites, you never know. So um, Absolutely. And there are always exceptions, you know, I mean, we're talking big blanket. Yeah. general statements and small nonprofits can be great. Again, it doesn't have to be big and fancy, but it has to be transparent. That would be my big yeah. takeaway. Yeah, that makes sense. And then what is the difference between a nonprofit and a foundation? I know that kind of you hear about a lot of these and it, I've never actually known what the difference, where the difference lies. Sure. Well, they can be used somewhat interchangeably, even though that's, that's a yes, but it's a yes, but. So um, nonprofit, as we've discussed, are they're exempt from paying federal taxes because they are usually these 501c3 organizations that are doing good in the community or they're a religious organization. But sometimes a nonprofit can be a private foundation. So I think the way to think about it is a foundation is a subset. It's a type of a nonprofit, but they're, it, they're very different. One of the things that distinguishes a private foundation from, say, a charity is that a private foundation is created usually when an individual donor or family or corporation contributes a lot of money into this entity 
for the purpose then of distributing funds from the entity to other nonprofits. Private foundations have some real benefits. Individuals can control how the assets are invested, which might be important to some of the athletes, but they also have a lot more tax implications and um, distribution requirements than say if you did a donor advised fund. And I think we might chat about that in a minute, but yeah. I, th- I think again, the high level for the for your athletes is to, to recognize that private foundations can be fantastic vehicles, but they're also complex. And it's not something you just like wake up one morning and say, I'm gonna have a private foundation today. Yeah. And so it would require active management, kind of filing returns, and potentially paying additional taxes, correct? Absolutely. If, if funds aren't distributed? That's exactly right. There's an excise tax. I believe you have to distribute 5% a year. You definitely have to file what's called a 990, which, by the way, charities have to file as well. And these this is these are tax forms that you file yeah. with the IRS. And that, again, are also available on the IRS website. And they are most charities will post their own 990s on their own website as well. So would, I guess this is kind of, might be a silly question, but do foundations also have, if there's a foundation, if someone's about to donate to a foundation, can you go on that website as well, the IRS website and see that, or would that not be public? It's only public once the IRS, once the foundation has been set up and it's gotten its tax exempt number yeah. and it's filed its first 990, then you can, you can. Okay. Uh, but that would be out there for kind oh, of yeah. anyone to see. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. That's super helpful. I mean, I, I think that a lot, I've read about many different kind of public figures starting their own foundations. Uh, let's say one of our athletes wants to set up their own foundation. What are kind of some of the key considerations they need to think about at the outset? Kind of who should they talk to? What what's where would you even start? Sure. Well, let me start by saying that it's a really fun thing for your athletes to be thinking about. I mean, the idea of creating impact is where I would I would start. And I, I think maybe the first thing I would recommend is is thinking about what's important to the athlete in terms of is it supporting a particular kind of thing? Let's say sports for youth. Is it supporting a particular community? I'm from Cleveland. The LeBron James Foundation is based down the street in Akron. A lot of its focus is on Akron. Is it based on, let's say, the money? Let's just say that some of your athletes have come from generations of money that they didn't actually earn, but they want to acknowledge maybe where their roots are from. So maybe they want their grants only to be made in Kansas City, because that's where their relatives grew up. So, you know, once you kind of establish that, then you can drill down even further. And it can be all of the things. So you could have priority areas, say New York City, say education, and then within education, maybe you're only focused on pre-K, or maybe you're focused on getting high school kids into college. I I know Mark is involved with an organization. I can't remember what it's called, like Reaching New Heights or something. New Heights. Yeah. New Heights. And so that's a great example of of an organization that's helping high school kids through basketball get ready to go to stay, stay in high school, getting ready to go to college. So that might be a very narrow area of interest. Usually foundations are not set up just to, just to support a particular 
charitable organization, but there are a lot of organizations like New Heights, for example, all across the country. So yeah. if that was something that was of interest, you know, youth development for post-secondary education, for example. So those are the kinds of considerations. Then I think the next consideration an athlete has to make is, you know, how's it going to be funded? And obviously they talk with their financial advisor and sort of sort through all of that. But then the next question I think is really how involved does the athlete want to be? You know, do they want to just kind of be the figurehead or out in the community meeting grantees? Do they want to come to an annual meeting of the foundation? Or do they actually want to be like sitting there cutting checks, reviewing um, applications as they come in? Yeah. So like a, a subsidiary question to that might be, you know, do they want to have staff? Or are they yeah. going to ask their family members? And, you know, that can get a little dicey. Sometimes people, you know, you have to, if you have a non-family member, you're going to most likely pay that person to do the sure. work because it does require work. But, you know, if it's a family member and you start paying that family member again, because it's work, you know, you got to sort of think through maybe what kinds of issues that might raise in your family. Um, but it is a wonderful way to, engage family members or people that you know in your community who may sure. have had experience with some of these nonprofits. That makes sense. And that just kind of brought to my mind just another random question, but charities obviously or nonprofits in general must have some sort of overhead that they're needing to cover as well. How is is that something that's disclosed or how do you know if they're kind of using their funds correctly if my money is going just to pay? the employees or do is there a way to know if my money is going to pay the employees of a nonprofit versus actually going to those who need it and those that are trying to help? Yeah, those are great. Oh yeah, it's great. And it's a really important question. I mean, I think the first thing that people have to recognize, you know, when people think charities, they think, oh, we have have to make sure that a hundred percent of our dollar is being used for the charitable purpose. But that kind of neglects the fact that somebody's actually having to do the work of the charity mm -hmm. to deliver the service. So, you know, even though it's a nonprofit, it's a business, it's going to have people. That said, a good sort of rule of kind of a rule of thumb is anything between, you know, 25 to 30 percent of of total operational budget. OK. Should, Anything more than that should really raise your eyebrow in terms of cost of overhead. Um, Got it. So you know, you're saying basically 70% of any exactly. dollar should be going to those for the right. costs. 30% or something yeah. around there should at go to pay those. Right, okay. at least. And when you look at, and that's why looking at Charity Navigator or Candid can be so helpful because they've gone through based on the organization's filings, the IRS filings, and analyze the numbers and mm -hmm. they will indicate either with stars or silver gold bronze sort of in you know measurement exactly how much of the total dollars are being spent on overhead oh, and God. usually yeah and so overhead isn't just like paying the salary of the basketball coach it, it's actually like paying the ceo's salary and the marketing salary and the rent and and that mm -hmm. kind of that kind yeah. of thing well, that's helpful also just so I guess if you're considering $100 to XYZ charity versus $100 to another, yeah. that might be a great place to start in terms of thinking through, I just want, if you're 
main thought is how do I get the most money out yeah. into the world helping people if it's yeah. a charity where 50% is going to the kind of those receiving the benefits versus 30% versus 70%. I think that would help for sure in terms absolutely. of just evaluating different opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes to that whole transparency point we were discussing at the at the top. I think the more, and and again, you can see that on websites. You can even see it by talking to other organizations. So if your athletes are, you know, they want to start something new in Buffalo, you know, maybe they should check around and see what else is going on in Buffalo, or do they have any family members that might know somebody and, you know, do a little digging and get yourself to another nonprofit or an executive mm -hmm. director even and ask questions. I mean, nonprofits are used to that. And if yeah. anybody seems defensive when you're asking those kinds of questions, I think that should be a red flag for your athletes okay. as well. Got it. That makes sense. And sorry, so some, I think you mentioned this briefly, we're jumping around a little bit, That's but okay. so some foundations get set up and then don't make grants, correct? Well, How does that they, work? yeah, eventually they have to make grants. It just may okay. be that they don't make them right away. And okay. some foundations get set up and they keep raising money while making grants. Got uh, it. And that's something that you see, you know, fairly often as well. Like if you'll look, like I was looking at the Cleveland Browns Foundation, you know, they are making grants in the, in the Cleveland Northeast Ohio community all the time, but they're always fundraising as well. Sure. That makes sense. And, and that's something that, you know, your athletes could do. They could set it up that way. I think some of it is staff dependent and, and sure. how involved they want to be. Yeah. Oh, as I think we all know fundraising doesn't happen overnight. And so to be able to kind of raise a little bit of money and especially it are the way many athletes are, is like it's kind of seasonal in terms of their availability. So if they can raise some money in the off season, then kind of put a pin in it and then pick it back up the next off season, that's helpful to know that it doesn't have to be all done at once in order for this to work. They could kind of do it in parts and there's ways to kind of get around that. That makes sense. Exactly. Um, I mean, of course, it's going to determine the amount of money you have determines how much you can give away, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, that's so I exactly think that right. Kind of, that kind of leads into, I guess, my next question, which is, okay, let's say I've set up a foundation and raised the money over however long that took. What are some of the key considerations to think through when making grants in that decision process? Obviously, there are a million great causes, but what are some of kind of the main considerations to think about? You mean in terms of how the foundation will run or in terms of the kinds of grants the foundation might make? In terms of kind of the, the grants they might make and kind of how that should look. Is it is there usually a process? Is it thinking through the size of the check or kind of what are some of those, I guess, aspects yeah, to think? Absolutely. So once, let's say, once the, the, the athlete has determined like what's important, you know, and they've yeah. identified again let's stay with basketball um you know they've identified that it's going to be a basketball or or whatever youth sports yeah, organizations. basketball organizations Hockey, within tennis yeah, yeah exactly then the next question is are they going to are they only going to give to program like a specific program like the after school program that's offered at this you know at this particular program location at this time are they going to give it generally to New Heights? Mm -hmm. Or what if New Heights is having a drive to set up the Mark Patrickoff Scholarship Fund? Are they going mm -hmm. to give it 
to that. So some endowments, excuse me, some foundations are very clear that they will not give to endowments. They will not give to special events. They will not give to building a building. Other foundations will give to whatever you ask. From an organization, from a charity's perspective, most of the time, charities prefer to get what they call unrestricted gifts. That way they can put it to wherever they need it the most. Mm -hmm. So that from a charitable charitable organization's perspective, those are the best kind of dollars. And I think that's always important for for donors to know because they might not know that. Mm -hmm. I think another thing that your athletes need to think about when they're setting up the foundation is how rigorous do they want the process to be? Because, you know, as soon as somebody knows that there's a foundation, there are going to be a lot of people coming to ask. Yeah. And I think the best way to do it is to try to kind of insulate yourself or, or make the process kind of as neutral as possible. You know, you might only want to accept submissions quarterly, say, and there's a deadline. Um, you may say to a charitable organization, look, if we fund you this year, we're not going to fund you for the next year. Or if you apply this year and you didn't get it, you still have to wait two years to apply again. Got it. Um, you may want to use um, some online software and there's tons of that, you know, so everybody submits and uploads stuff so that you're not like carting around papers on airplanes and, you know, you can meet with your trustees over Zoom and Everybody has yeah. access to the same documents at the same time. That makes sense. I, I honestly didn't even think about that aspect of if a charity comes to you one year, that has to be really hard then the next year when they come back trying again to say no. So I guess kind of putting in place some of those guidelines is really yeah. smart just to kind of protect yeah. the foundation from feeling that obligation of we exactly. supported them last year. I feel really guilty not supporting them right right back to back again or you could say like well wait I know that might not be fair to a foundation to an organization but look charities we're not going to support you more than three out of five years kind of thing because at the same time that you don't want to feel mean you also don't want to create like an over-reliance particularly if it's a really big amount of money yeah no that makes a ton of sense I guess that kind of leads to the next one let's say athlete doesn't have a foundation, but they do make a ton of different donations and essentially have a lot of different causes that they're interested in, whether it's their school or sports or the youth or whatever it is. But is there a way that they should be thinking about how they go about that in order to ensure the maximum amount is going to the charity? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I might even recommend this for most people as sort of their their gateway into nonprofit giving, and that would be to set up a donor-advised fund. They are super easy to set up. They're essentially charitable checkbooks, and you okay. can set them up at, you know, like Schwab or Vanguard or Fidelity. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You guys could even offer them. I don't know, but it's super easy to do. They have online portals. You go in, you say, I want to give New Heights X amount of money, and the next thing you know, New Heights gets a check from the Mark Patrickoff Fund of Schwab. Mm-hmm. The way it works from the athlete or the donor's perspective is they, they he or she gives the chunk of money to, let's say, Schwab, they name the fund, and they get a charitable tax deduction the year they make the gift. Yeah. Now, the reason that some people don't like um, 
donor advised funds, at least from the charity's perspective, is that the fund, like a checkbook, can just sit there. You know, nobody has to act. They don't. There's no requirement, at least at this point in time, by the government that that the fund has to make grants in any given year. So Got it, it. could just sit there. You know, and so, so that people can be could use that theoretically as a tax shelter. Absolutely, and just exactly. park money there. Yes, use it as a tax write off and yes. not actually deploy the money exactly. to charities. Yes. Got Whereas it. with a foundation, you have to give at least 5% of your assets every year. Got it. Okay. So, that, so that's it's less why. active, I guess. It, or it, you, can, it can be. To. You're not forced to. Now, some people, you know, let's say you put in 20,000 bucks at the beginning of the year. By the end of the year, they're down to zero. Or, you know, maybe they got 5,000 left and they want to keep funding it. It's it's also right. a really easy way to engage kids. You know, you might say, like, if everybody's gathered at Thanksgiving, you know, you got the Patrickoff Family Fund. Okay, you know, child A, you can have $1,000 to allocate. And child B, you can do this. Oh, and I want, I want you to come and tell me why you've chosen this. And then as a family, let's select another organization kind of thing. So it's a good tool, particularly for some of your athletes who want to engage family members, whether they're kids, siblings, parents, cousins. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And it sound, is there less paperwork involved then? Because it doesn't sound like, it sounds like it's taxed once when it, when it goes in and then it's not like they're filing 990 Correct. forms or anything nope. with all of that. Okay. Got exactly. it. So I that's kind of a nice workaround. Um, it is. It is. I mean, it's great for individuals. And I was only giving you the perspective from from charities, but from yeah. an individual <laughs> perspective, it makes a ton of sense. Um, I, I don't know what the minimum threshold is. Different um, entities have different thresholds. And you can sometimes do them through community foundations. So I live in Got Cleveland, it. and the Cleveland Foundation offers them. I'm sure the New York Community Trust offers them. I, Catholic Charities probably offers them. So you don't have to do it with like a Schwab or a Vanguard, um, mm -hmm. but the process is the same. The tax implications are the same. The only thing that might be different is the amount of money you need to actually like open your fund. Yeah. And some, some fund, some of these donor advised funds are not going to let you make a grant for 25 bucks. You know, they might have a minimum yeah. of a hundred dollar gift. Well, would then... I guess Schwab or whoever is someone else making an approval that that's a worthy charity or is that truly down to the donor's discretion? That's a really good question. I am fairly certain that Schwab, let's say, has done the vetting. Let you know, like if you okay. type in that you want to give to you know New Heights, I'm going to use keep yeah. using them. And for some, I know this is not true. But if for some reason they didn't have their 501c3 status, they probably wouldn't show up on Schwab's database and yeah. you wouldn't have that option. Well, that actually might also be a nice kind of check or balance because then yeah. if if you have your funds that for donation in that account, then you know that if you're kind of donating to whatever charity, you know that they're vetting as well. So there's kind of a second layer of checking going on there. And I think another thing, another reason they can be wonderful, and again, this might depend on where you have your fund, and I don't know if this is true at, at Schwab and Vanguard and Fidelity, but oftentimes, like at, in community-based foundations, you can say, I, I'm interested in education, but I don't know what's out there. Mm -hmm. And the 
they'll have some suggestions. So if you don't know as much when you're just starting out, that that's another nice way to do yeah. it. I think the only thing to pay attention to is technically you're not supposed to use a donor advised fund to pay for like a table if you go to a benefit. And oh, okay. If so you I guess it, there are some restrictions and some, yeah, but you know, there. again, you would just work with your the charity or you'd work with the with the actual donor advised fund folder. I mean, charities yeah. are used to these now. They're so yeah. common. Okay, that makes sense. What if, let's say, donor advised fund or not, just I want to set up a multi-year gift. I went to Washington and Lee University. I would like to set up a gift. How do I go about documenting that? What's kind of required? Let's say some of this is recurring. Some of this is, there might be naming rights involved. Who knows? What are some of the things that I need to think about, I guess, getting in return when setting that up? Well, that's another great question. I think the most important thing is to get a gift, what they call a gift agreement or a memorandum of understanding. And the way you do that is you you reach out to the organization. I mean, presumably mm-hmm. you're not, unless you're like Mackenzie Scott and you're just dropping millions from the sky, presumably you've had some contact with an organization that you want to support over multiple years. And as you've had that conversation, you're talking about what you want you as the donor or as the athlete in this case want the gift to look like so let's say you know your athlete went to ohio state and they want to endow a a scholarship for um, a scholar athlete Um, ohio state would likely have some requirements about the size of the scholarship in order for it to make sense for them and they may say to you, let's just say it's $50,000. And they may say, well, look, you can set this up over five years. You can pay 10000 bucks a year. You can name it after Coach Day or whomever you want. Um, and you can specify that it, it the preference would be given to kids that grew up in Ohio or are from New York. Okay. Um, then let's, you know, but you may say, you as the donor of the athlete may say, well, that's great, but I only want to keep the scholarship here as long as Coach Day is here. I think he's still the coach. And they may say, well, we can't do that. But what we could do if you wanted would be if there was a different coach, we might be able to change the name of the scholarship. So it's a little bit of a give and take, but I think the most important thing is for the athlete or or the donor to make sure that if something happens that really upsets them, let's say they were actually giving money to build the stadium and 15 years from now, Ohio State decided that the newly named shoe should no longer be the stadium and they want to knock it down. What kinds of obligations does Ohio State have to you as that donor originally? What rights would you have? And so you you would, if it gets to that level of complexity, you're most likely going to want to have an advisor or a lawyer kind of with you, quote unquote, on your side, yeah. because on the university side, they are going to have people that are good at, at drafting these kinds of documents. Sure. So it's realistically, it's just this gift agreement that is basically puts all of this in writing that yes. just needs to be kind of buttoned up at the outset so that down the road, if there's any question it's all been negotiated and it's all kind of in writing and yes. the lawyers can handle it at that point. Exactly. And, you know, okay. most of the time it's not nearly as complex as what, you know, some of these examples I've talked about, but we yeah. have seen a lot of recent examples in the news where, you know, 
there have been instances where donors are really upset and are wanting to take back money or change naming mm -hmm. rights. And so it's important to make sure these things are thought about upfront because, you know, after all, you never have to give to charity and giving to charity makes people feel good. You don't want a gift to go wrong and leave a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there yeah. it's doing a good thing and you want to know yeah. that it's got the funds are going towards something that's meaningful to you and yeah. not being misused um, or used differently. I guess that kind of, let's see, that leads to one other question is kind of oftentimes athletes work with a company who does offer to donate a percentage of their sales to a cause kind of on their behalf or to their foundation. Is there a most efficient way or a best way to do that to ensure the maximum amount of money ends up going directly to the cause. It Sometimes I think this is part of like partnerships or brand agreements, but I think there's a million different ways. And we've probably all seen a portion of the proceeds go to XYZ, but I've always yeah. wondered and exactly. you want to make sure the, the most amount is going to that cause. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like for each of the questions you asked me, I have like this one pithy sentence and my, <laughs> my pithy sentence here would be the devil's in the details because it's exactly... Okay. As you say, I always wonder about that. And I'm a little skeptical a lot of the times as to whether, you know, money's really going to where they say or how much yeah. money and whose money. So I think those are the kinds of questions, you know, your athletes would want to ask. Like, do they have control as the athlete? You know, I mean, if if a company that they work with, and I have no idea, I'm just kind of spitballing here, but let's just say you know, you have an athlete who has a partnership with Nike and as part of the deal, they've negotiated that Nike's going to give X percent to charity. Does the athlete have any say then over the charity? Is it actually Nike's money or is it Nike's money, quote unquote, that they've raised by like raising the price of the shoe, that it's the athlete's shoe to cover, you know, their donation? And yeah. if if I were your athletes, I would make sure that the company has some of its own skin in the game, that it's not like the pass through and mm -hmm. that it's the consumers who are who are doing that. Or if it's the consumers that they would say, you know, look, I'll match however much we raise up to $100,000 or, mm -hmm. you know, the sale of the shoe kind of thing. I think that's really important just for the athlete to understand and, you know, to understand how the partnership with respect to philanthropy is being promoted. I know that athletes obviously have a really good understanding of their professional partnerships, but the philanthropic piece might be something that's a little out of the ordinary for a lot of people. And so I think you just want to ask a lot of questions mm -hmm. and say, for example, the company is going to be the pass-through, how much promotion are they willing to do? So even though it's not the company's money, you know, are they willing to make a full-on blitz that this particular Nike shoe of X athlete, you know, 15% of the whatever is going to go to these five charities and they're blasting that information everywhere? Or is it the kind of thing you only know if you happen to click on the shoe online? Yeah. You know, so, because you don't want the athlete thinking, God, I'm doing such a great thing. I'm leveraging my you know, my position in the, in sort of the marketplace to do all this good and then come to find out, oh yeah, you know, we donated 5,000 bucks, mm -hmm. you know, which is yeah. enough for most yeah. of the corporate partners. Yeah, that makes sense. And then maybe just kind of as a last question, as you kind of wrap this up, but this has been super helpful is I know we discussed kind of step one 
or some of the considerations if I wanted to start a foundation. But if I was truly about to start this tomorrow, who could I ask to help me? Or if if I don't want to task that one of my family members or I'm I'm not personally able to put in the time, who where could I go and who do I need to even hire to do something like that? An excellent question. You know, first of all, I would say you could always call me and I would give you my two cents. But after that, but my two cents would mainly be, well, do you have a fan? Are you part of a family office? Or let's talk with Allie and Mark. You know, Petrikoff Co. may know people in New York that, for example, could be hired, even though the um, foundation may or may not be in New York. Um, but oftentimes family offices or RIAs offer um, these kinds of services. Banks offer them, although okay. they may not be as sort of sophisticated. But what I would really recommend is that this kind of service can be outsourced. There is there's there are national groups such as something called Foundation Source that literally is a soup to nuts. And then in most big cities, there are also local organizations that maybe manage you know five or six foundations. In Cleveland, we have something called Foundation Management Services, and they're great. It's a, there's a fee, of course, but sure. then you get, as the athlete, you have all the fun, but none mm -hmm. of the work, and you're doing really good things. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like all the benefits, but this has been so awesome. And I think there is so much information that we covered today. Thank you so much, Kitty, for joining us. And I will pass along your contact information if anyone is having any of these thoughts or is interested in starting a foundation or just wanting to pick your brain more about how they can be the most charitable and make sure they are donating in the most efficient way. I will be sure to pass your information along, but thank you again for joining us. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you again for this opportunity. And I look forward to hearing from uh, some of the athletes who listen in.